0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Retail Squadcast. As always, I'm your host, Courtney Radke, and today we are privileged to have with us Tony G, security extraordinaire and cyber MacGyver. Not to be confused with Kenny G, though I have heard he plays a mean jazz flute. Man, that brings me back. Kenny G and Michael Bolton. Wow. Wow. Who do you think had the better main? Who had the better flowing main? I can't choose. I'll let you guys decide. Drop me a note in the comments. But for today's show, we have Tony G, who will share with us his knowledge and expertise around the evolving threat landscape, boosting security maturity, and some tips on creating an effective security framework for retailer. Without further delay, let's jump right in. Hey, Tony. Thanks for joining us today. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. How about you, Courtney? I'm doing good. Yeah, you know, I know that we keep you pretty busy saving the world one threat actor at a time. So uh, on that note, I just wanted to talk a little bit about, honestly, what is it that uh, what it, that you do? What is it that your team does? I know your role has kind of changed a little bit over the last year, and I, I'm, I'd like to understand a little bit more about what you do.
1: Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, so I actually run, I currently run two services that are really focused around being able to detect, analyze, and respond to a variety of different threats. So the first one is our managed detection and response. I have a uh, security operations center that is monitoring um, events that are coming out of our 40 EDR product 24 seven. And we're just kind of analyzing those things. We're kind of triaging them. And then and if we need to actually kind of take action, we definitely do. when we respond to the customer. Uh, the other side is, um, if uh, the customer isn't fortunate enough to have our 24 by 7 monitoring service, uh, no problem. If they get hit by a security incident, we have an incident response service So uh, per incident. So if they do get hit with something, they can reach out to us and then we can help them fight through the attack, understand exactly... Uh, you know, what's going on, what's the actual scope of the breach, the analysis, the containment, uh, the rec- you know, the remediations and some of the recommend, uh, uh, the recommendations moving forward on what they should do to shore up, you know, some of their, um, their sort of gaps, uh,
0: in, you know, in their environment, we're basically trying to get them back to a steady state. Yeah. Yeah, and so we'll go into a little bit more about that technology in a minute, but I want to ask you, you know, moving into kind of the atmosphere of the last couple months, I want to get your, um, you know, information on how do you feel the last several months have shifted organizations focus on security, either for good or for bad?
1: Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, if we say, if we're sort of focused on um, the events over the last, you know, few months, you know, with mm-hmm. COVID, you um, it's always interesting anytime there's a new sort of event or what have you and, you know, security happens to be a play in it, you all of a sudden get a little bit more kind of attention from the organizations from a security perspective, which is always good. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I think we always need to sort of measure that with, uh, you know, sometimes we have a tendency uh, as a market, you know, to be able to push, you know, too much FUD. Um, and that, that kind of then, you know, sort of, you know, there's a balance there of making sure that, you know, you're not, uh, you know, crying wolf, but at the same time, you're really saying, Hey, you know, this is important. You really got to check it out. So I think there's, you know, definitely a balance there, but you know, with an event like, you know, COVID it's any time and, you know, it's still, it's still the same case today. Uh, the delivery mechanism of choice by the adversary is a phishing email and, Mm -hmm you know, what they want to be able to do is increase the likelihood that you're going to click that link or click that attachment. The way to actually do that is to cite some type of emotion in you, something that relates back to you, some event that you're not really going to be thinking sort of straight. You're just going to want to click that link or click, you know, click that attachment to to just read what it is. COVID-19 is exactly that right now. Everybody wants answers and that's what the adversaries are taking advantage of right now.
0: Yeah, I think the method is the same, but the madness is out there a little more so there are people who are click cappy. And, you know, I think we've seen that uh, from from last year to this year, there's been a 600 percent month over month growth uh, in successful attack campaigns. That's more than all of 2019. In the last five months alone. And I think we've we've just recently you know, eclipsed a, a 8 billion records stolen, which is also not a record that we want to continue to proliferate out there. So as you said, I think the gaps are the same. They're just being uh, hit with more regularity and people, they're making an emotional response. It's the human element that's there. They have to be protected, uh, protected from. So yeah, that's interesting. Um, so a little bit along those notes, you know, we've seen the traditional threat actor groups like, you know, the Finns, Fin 7, Fin 10, Carbon Act groups, some of those other ones out there that had been really prevalent from really the early 2010s and beyond and even into now. Are we seeing it, those same groups or is it amateur groups coming up or um, uh, who, who's really doing it right now?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I focus less on the actual groups. I mean, there's kind of groups that are cropping up all the time and it becomes more and more difficult to be able to tie attribution back to specific groups. But the Mm -hmm. thing that we've seen over the last few years is really a combination of actual tactics, techniques, and procedures. You know, when when we used to talk about, um, uh, you know, threats that are coming out of the cybercrime ecosystem, it was more Mm -hmm. of a, here's a, you know, service that you can rent and it's the affiliate programs that, you know, you can buy into these things and it's a, you know, Spray and pray, you know, let's hope, you know, let's hope for the best. And a lot of that was, you know, ransomware was coming out of that. Now, over the last sort of few years, though, on the adversary side or, or on the, you know, more of the actual nation states, uh, more kind of, you know, targeted attacks. You didn't see a lot of the ransomware. Well, that's changed. So you kind of typically see this blended sort of threat where now. You know for example if they're dropping ransomware they're not just kind of pushing a button and kind of seeing what happens they're looking for they're doing the reconnaissance they're looking for you know openings in the environment once they establish an actual beachhead from there, they methodically move hands on keyboard from system to system. They map that out and they start to push out their actual payloads. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of times what we've seen also is they'll look at the active directory servers, they'll find the login scripts. They'll put the login script uh, there to be able to run their, uh, you know, ransomware users come in in the morning, they log in, boom. They get hit with ransomware. So we see a lot of that sort of blending of different types of techniques from the actual targeted side and the cybercrime ecosystem are kind of coming together. It's really a blend.
0: Yeah, it's, yeah, the... The the users are doing the work for them, right? They're running the processes that are needed to to compromise them. So, yeah, again, as you said, it's really maybe not necessarily about who's doing it, not about the threat actor groups, but but what they're doing and and how they're doing. So, taking that and now shifting to some of the technology elements of it, knowing that you know organizations are really kind of under attack from moving targets. What technologies do you think you know before were critical, but now are, are very critical um, in in helping organizations against those fast and loud attacks like ransomware but also those ones to stop against the dwell time right the ones the long game so what what technologies do you think are could be really important
1: yeah I when so when people ask me that the first thing I just like to say before I get into some of the actual <laughs> goals is that having an actual framework having a program is probably the first thing that you need to do. Um, so I would do that first but if we go into some of the actual technologies I look at it like you know look like this at the end of the day you need to understand what's happening in your environment um and i you know i've said this a couple of times on a variety of different sort of presentations and podcasts and i think it's worth mentioning it again um when you have uh when i get up there and i you know i used to talk about um uh, a lot of you know threat intelligence i would give different types of threat reports to customers and at the end of it um the most information that they would ask for from me um, is can you give me the iOS you know the IP addresses can you give me the URLs can you <laughs> give me the domains give me the hashes because that's all that they are actual capable of making that information I just gave them actionable what yeah. about the behaviors you know what about the different types of tools so I think as you mm-hmm. start to look at, different technologies, um, look for types of technologies that are allowing you to be able to identify malicious activity, the behavior. You can't necessarily change that behavior, but you can. the adversary can change those network and system IOCs all yeah. the time, right? So with that said, um, looking at how to be able to do that, EDR technology is a great way to be able to identify that stuff that automatically gives you that capability to take some type of uh, action on that information that's being, you know, presented to you from a threat intelligence perspective, right? You can now start to identify that malicious activity, that, you know, that, uh, you know, behavior. At the end of the day, also, I, I didn't say this. I wish I would have, but malware can hide, but it's got to run. And when it runs, it's on the workstation and it exposes itself. So on the systems is where I, you know see a lot of a uh, value of throwing your you know security controls on
0: yeah, I, I kind of teed that one up for you because I totally agree with you having a having a proper program or framework around it has to be step one. And actually, you know, there's been a lot of studies out there and statistics around what level of maturity businesses are actually yeah. in. And upwards uh, or lower than fifty percent of businesses are actually past what it's what's called level three or, or managed. A lot of them are still in the basic or ad hoc security. They're throwing things at the wall, seeing what sticks. They're trying to attack um, the the symptoms or what happens afterwards, and not not the behavior and what the products that you're talking about right the EPP and EDR consolidation really gets people into that more controlled and hopefully the avoiding right the that's the nirvana of this security maturity is uh the avoiding so you talked a little bit about um about EDR and EPP and I think one of the dangers there that a lot of businesses hear is well it's just another product and when you when you think about it when the average enterprise has upwards of 30 plus different network or security vendors inside of their organization, they're thinking, what is this one going to do differently than the other one? So from the perspective of of a CISO or CIO, um, for EDR, what do you think are the top three points on why an organization should consolidate functions of EPP and EDR? Um, and, 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 what's, what is the most important part of that in the selection process? Is it the AV the next generation AV or, or is it, or is it now more the EDR? Uh, portion of it because we are seeing them consolidated.
1: Yeah, see, I got to go back to that same thing again, Courtney. Um, at, you know, I I think what happens, and I think you were sort of alluding to that, is um, how do you keep going back to the well and asking for? Hey, if I just had this control, I could do this. You know, and then you get then you know something happens, and then you go back again. It's like, oh, well, I need this. Well, I just gave you this. Now you want this as well. Um, I. What I think has happened over the last sort of few years uh, that we never really had was a common language to be able to communicate with, uh, the actual, you know, managers or the C-level execs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, uh, now, um, I know you're familiar with it, MITRE ATT&CK framework, it's it yeah. to build a common language on being able to more granularly be able to determine, um, how effective or ineffective your security posture is against these world attacks. You have these higher level security frameworks, you know, which are great, but until you dive in a little bit deeper into what the adversaries are kind of doing, those real world attacks, you really don't know. So I think um, there's a lot of really neat things for the, you know, uh, the uh, security controls from, you know, uh, an EDR kind of EPP uh, perspective, but, you know, and that's, that's really where I sort of dwell in, but I would say at a higher level, though, if you can start to build Uh, or operationalize the MITRE ATT&CK framework in your environment, get some of these technologies that you already have and test them against those actual tactics, techniques, and procedures. If you can't do it, find another vendor that's able to actually kind of do that for you. Do those actual tests, because you're going to identify the different gaps in your environment, and you're going to find out a lot of those gaps can be closed with that endpoint technology.
0: Yeah, I, again, I agree. I think it's more about the the education and the people and the resources around it, not necessarily the tools. And, and you make a good point, making use of existing investments as well, seeing what you already have and how do you operationalize it, automate it, make it better. And then you, you you touched on another thing there, and that's if you don't have the resources or expertise to do it, there's a lot of companies out there that do. And so to kind of close us out here, can you talk a little bit about the growth of these, these managed text response or security as a service, or even, or even these CISO for rental type uh, type programs that are out there and, and why they're becoming so much more prevalent.
1: Yeah, I I think the you know, the simple answer is a darn skill shortage. man. there's, there's such a, I mean, this is becoming um, the more that we, you know, this, you know, digital explosion where everything now is just kind of digitized, um, got to figure out a way to be able to protect it. And I'll tell you, the adversaries are very crafty of being able to get around Uh, a lot of different, you know, uh, security controls. And it's very easy to have things just sort of sprawl. So I think we need so many more skilled resources and we just don't have it these days. Um, I I don't know what the numbers are, uh, but I know it's gonna be years and years and years until we catch up. Um, And I think that's really why um, I think uh, when you have organizations that have that actual skilled resources, work with them, let them be an extension of your security team. because I think when you can work with them and they're part of your actual team, not only are they able to monitor things for you, they're able to respond or whatever the actual service is, they sometimes also, when they interact with your employees, you automatically get some education, you get some learning from them as well. So I think there's a lot of advantages to being able to work with these outsourced companies
0: yeah, I totally agree. And you know, just tying this off with the, with the global skills gap, it's been exacerbated over the last several months as companies look to cut costs. And one of the capex costs that's huge is additional staffing and resources. And that's been slashed by over 60% uh, by most organizations. But what's not slowing down is digital transformation because they still need to reach their customers. So they're deploying this technology with such rapid pace and, and, and as you said, sprawling it out, but they don't have the people uh, in place to run them. So it's, uh, it's only going to get worse. And so we need to have, make sure that there's partners out there and, and, uh, tools, services, and frameworks to help protect people from themselves when they, uh, don't staff or can't staff appropriately. So Tony, I want to thank you for joining us today. It's been fantastic. A lot of insight there. Um, I love the back and forth. Um, I'd love to have you on another time and, uh, yeah, appreciate you for joining us today. Hey, well, thank you so much. And I love to be on again,
1: man. So just let me know. Awesome. Sounds great. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.
0: Awesome. Another one in the books. I want to give a big shout out to Tony G for joining us today. We may look into making this a more regular theme of exploring cyber threats in depth for retailers and in general. So let me know what you think in the comments and be sure to check us out on your favorite podcast app. Yes, we are out there now. We are on your, your favorite podcast app. We are also on Spotify. So be sure to check out our other episodes and stay tuned for updates. Until next time, for the Retail Squad, I am Courtney Radke. Stay safe out there.